out there in podcast land. You are set to dial once again to Combat Sports with Ronald, your first, best, and only all-encompassing Combat Sports podcast. Today, we are on episode 51, if you can believe it. And my guest today, going 10 rounds with Rhino, is recent Dana White Contender Series contract winner and making his UFC debut in just a couple weeks at UFC 256, Jared the Mountain Vandera. So stay tuned for that. On today's schedule, we are going to have our recaps of the Daniel Dubois versus Joe Joyce pro boxing match from over in England, the exhibition bout between Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. We'll have our full breakdown of UFC Vegas 15, Drea's world-famous drop of the night, our main card prediction for UFC Vegas 16, Q&A with the Rhino Gang, and then as I forementioned, Dana White Contender Series contract winner and future UFC in just a couple of weeks. I say future like it's some long ways away. In just a couple of weeks on uh, UFC 256, Jared the Mountain Bandera goes 10 rounds with Rhino. So, as we love to say here at CSWR, let's get our swim trunks and our flippy floppies on and dive right in. This for me, folks, as a boxing enthusiast, former pro heavyweight myself, was I was so looking forward to this fight for weeks. Daniel Dubois or Daniel Dubois, depending on who you ask. The young upstart, the stud going against the grizzled vet, Joe Joyce. Although Dubois had more fights than Joyce. Joyce is 13 years older, but an all-England affair for the British Commonwealth Heavyweight Championship. I'm not going to give you guys the round-by-round breakdown because I know that's not most of your bag, what you're mostly into. I will say this. This was a back-and-forth chess match, a beautiful display of a guy who wants to get in and land power shots and get you out of there in in Daniel versus a guy in um in Joe who is a far more technical guy stayed on the outside implemented that jab quick one twos and, and Daniel would come in and try to throw these huge shots and it, it was effective I'd say he won half the rounds leading into the 10th round. Um, so I was kind of going back and forth with Joyce getting off on his, his jab game and staying at range. And then Dubois, someone that's coming in and hurting Joe. But, dude, it, it, he he being Joe, really lumped up and swelled up Daniel's eye in the 10th round. He landed another stiff jab. Daniel took a knee, didn't get back up. He couldn't see out of his eye, dude. It was a good um, it was a good stoppage of that fight, right? It was it was absolutely a chess match, a beautiful technical display, not blood and guts, not just bleed, right? A fucking oh, I love it so much. Like my shoulders just shrugged. <laughs> I was like, I was like, like reminiscing of like an old love, like. Oh, I just I loved it. I love that it was on early so I could focus on the USA after that. But great job. Joe Joyce uh, wins the British Commonwealth Heavyweight Championship. Uh, again, Daniel, I think, will be back. He's had a lot of time to grow. He's a very young guy. Really, really enjoyed it. So that was the boxing that I really cared about from last night. Uh, moving into real quick, just the Tyson versus RJJ. Um, uh, and I talked to Juice about this a little bit. Uh, you know, for me, it was... Yeah, it's cool. They get to go in there and make some money and kind of, you know, get some fans to watching boxing. And I'm using that with air quotes, but I just, they were both two of like my biggest heroes in boxing growing up. And I didn't want to see that tarnished, if you will. Um, it was a pretty neat little scrap back and forth, you know, two minute rounds exhibition. Tyson, I thought clearly won the majority of the rounds. They gave it a draw. Clearly it wasn't a draw to me. Right. But Mike Tyson, people, a lot of people didn't get to see Mike Tyson ever fight live, so this was a chance to do that. Um, you know, for nostalgia's sake, okay, cool, but as far as, like, 
boxing itself is concerned, not really my not really my bag. So I'm glad they both got paid. I'm glad some people saw some boxing last night and enjoyed it. And that's really what it boils down to. So uh, let's go ahead and get into our UFC fight night prelims from last night with Luke Sanders, who for my wrestling fans out there who also listen, previously dated Becky Lynch, which good on you, Luke, man. She's gorgeous. Uh, versus Nate uh, Manis. This one was did not go the way I predicted. <laughs> Dude, I thought Luke was going to wrestle fuck Manis the entire time. Not at all. Manis did a great job of staying at distance. Uh, they both rocked each other a bunch of times, in all honesty, but Nate was the one who really uh, hurt Luke at the, in the middle of the second. He knocked Luke down, you know, pounced on him, got him in position, subbed him uh, at 229 in the second with a rear naked choke. Great job by uh, by. Uh, by Nate to get that big win over Luke. Uh, moving into Sue Mudajiri uh, against Malcolm Gordon. Holy shit. <laughs> this one was fast, bro. Uh, Mudajiri, series of straight shots, that beautiful left, dropped Gordon in just 45 seconds of round one and finished the fight. Great job for him. Let's see what happens next for him at uh, 125. You don't see you don't see a lot of knockouts at 125, so when you do, it's impressive. So good job uh, by Mudajiri. Uh, moving into Rachel Ostrovich versus Gina Mazzani. We had a third round TKO for Gina with some beautiful leg or uh, some kicks to the body of Rachel, man. It really hurt her. I think the first one was to the sternum or the solar plexus. The second was to the, to the liver. There were some good scrambles in this one, but very impressive by Gina Mazzani. Rachel Ostrovich is now probably on her way out the door. Uh, maybe Bellator, maybe somewhere else. A lot of people are joking. It's going to be only fans. I don't know. You know, if she wants to keep fighting. She showed some scrappiness and some toughness for sure. Cause Gina was definitely the better fighter in there last night. So Rachel, if you want to keep fighting a smaller promotion would make sense to me. Uh, moving into the 135 pound division. We had Martin day versus Anderson dos Santos. Uh, this one was a fun fight while it landed. There was some nice slams. There was some nice takedowns, some beautiful leg kicks. Uh, but then Anderson slapped in that fucking guillotine choke. It's so weird to say Anderson because I always think Anderson Silva. This is Anderson Dos Santos, right? Uh, slapped in a beautiful guillotine choke on Martin Day and got him out in the first round. So uh, good on him for Dos Santos at 135. Moving into the main card, we had Kai Kamaka the third versus Jonathan Pierce. This was a fun one again, man. Back and forth. Lots of shots landed. Uh, lots of back control and ground and pound by Pierce. We got the ground and pound finish from Backmount GMP by Pierce, man. Uh, Kai Kamaka is a fun fighter. I want him to start winning. <laughs> I want to see him. I want to see him more. He brings a lot of fun, and he really he throws hard. He's just got to work on getting up from bottom and then defending on bottom because Pierce just cheat off on him on his face while he was trying to get off his stomach. But uh, good win for Pierce again. I want to see Kai Kamaka the third back. I really enjoy him. Uh, moving back into one thirty five in the women's division, we had Norma Dumont. Versus Ashley, the medical supply thief, Evan Smith. Uh, again, Paul Felder mentioned it last night. I saw it from the get-go, too, and I bet a lot of you did as well. Smith did not look like she wanted to be in there. I don't know if there was an injury. I don't know if she was overwhelmed by the moment or the layoff. Whatever it was, Ashley Evan Smith did not look good in there at all. Norma Dumont was hitting hard. Beautiful one-twos, leg kicks. Uh, she had a great um, she had a great couple of takedowns for, for Dumont. Again, this was one of those deals where Dumont was in control from start to finish. She got the unanimous decision over Ashley Evan Smith at 135. Norma Dumont did not make weight, and I can never just give you the pass on not making weight. You've got to make weight if you want to be get all the praise and the accolade that you deserve for your great performance. So make weight next time, Norma. 
but I think she will. And I think this was a great win for her over Ashley. I think Ashley's probably out of the UFC also. All right, let's move into Spike Carlisle for uh, his fight against Bill. I've heard this last name pronounced lots of different ways. I'm going Algio, okay? Al, Bill Algio. I thought, again, Spike Carlisle had a great chance of winning with his wrestling and with his strength, but he did what Spike Carlisle seems to be wanting to do, and that's blow his fucking wad in the first and have no energy left for the remaining two rounds. Bill uh, Algio did a great job. Um, he had some nice knees and some nice elbows. This was a clear-cut unanimous decision for Bill. Uh, he won it on 30-26 on one of the scorecards, 30-27 on the other ones. Again, it was it was Spike Carlisle, I thought, could have, if he could have finished it in the first, which he almost did, then that's his only chance of winning from like moving forward. Because I think you get him to the second and third, the dude's blown up. He can't control his pace for whatever reason. So good win for Bill. Uh, I know he took it on, on late notice, so good, good job on him. Uh, moving into the heavyweights, this was my fellow Michiganiac, Josh Parisian versus Parker Porter. There was a lot of output in this fight, a lot of shots landed. It was a lot of short shots, right? There wasn't... Any big haymakers really got landed. There was some nice clinch work, some nice inside knees. I actually gave Josh the first round, and then I gave Parker the second and the third. He clearly outlanded. He was working harder. He was in He was in the mindset of trying to get the big win. Um, as far as Parker goes, I don't see him ever being a contender, but I think Josh Parisian actually does have the capability of doing that. So we'll see what's next for them. Great output, great performance by both guys, but definitely Parker Porter gets the win. All righty, moving into our co-main event, we had Miguel Baeza versus Takashi Sato. And uh, this was awesome, dude. Baeza is a goddamn player. I've got a great question about him in the Rhino Gang, but he got the – he started off with some thunderous body kicks um, with some big right hands. He picked Sato apart. He outlanded him 50 to 11 in strikes, got a beautiful um, – Arm triangle at the end of the second round. Got Sato out of there. Again, outlanded him 50 to 11. Got the big submission in round two. Great performance for Miguel Baeza. All righty, moving into our main event, Anthony Lionheart Smith versus Devin Clark. We didn't have to wait long for this one, folks. The second week in a row with a very quick submission um, in our main event. Well, the Anthony Lionheart Smith, Devin Clark, they get to the ground. Clark laid a little bit of shot, few shots on top, and then a beautiful uh, triangle choke for Anthony Smith gets the first round submission uh so he gets back into the win column good to see him there it's been a while he's had a rough go as of late so good to see for uh anthony lionheart smith getting back into the win column over devin clark and man if you put somebody 33 and 16 against somebody 12 and 4 you should know how it's probably gonna go right so big win for lionheart um hey so let's dave let's go ahead and give Drea a call and get into her drop of the night and then our predictions for next week's ufc card all righty, ladies and gentlemen of the Rhino Gang, let's go ahead and get our Drea's Drop of the Night. World famous Drea's Drop of the Night. Drea, what did you land on last night for your world famous Drea's Drop of the Night? Well, friends, I went with Sue Mudarji. Uh, he finished Malcolm Gordon in just 45 seconds of the first round last night. Um, he was connecting early with this pinpoint accuracy, and then he hit Malcolm with this straight left that stunned him. And with a bit of a delayed reaction, it seemed, um, Malcolm goes down and the refs, you know, he steps in and stops it. So it was a beautiful drop. Uh, so my drop of the night goes to Sue Mudarji. 
Yeah, if you were going to, you know, film a movie scene with a perfect straight left punch, yeah. that's one that you would absolutely use. You said it just, you hit the nail on the head, pinpoint accurate, straight left, put him down. Yeah, you're right, it was a delayed reaction, but I've seen that many times. That really does happen. So, oh, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, so I think it was legit. I saw a little bit of shit talking about, oh, this seemed a little bit fucking fake. I'm like, no, but dude, it was dead on straight, and it, that's just how Gordon went down. So, yeah, that's a great drop of the night. I fully co-sign on. So next week, Drea, we have got ourselves UFC Fight Night Vegas 16 being headlined by Jack the Joker Hermanson versus Marvin Vittori. So why don't we go ahead and get our picks in and hopefully we both do better than we did last night because you and you and I both I had don't trash. even talk about that. You and I had trash <laughs> picks last night. Uh, it was like it, the night of the underdogs last night because it was like anyone who, you know, was the favorite, they all lost practically. There was only a couple that that actually did well so yeah well i hope some underdogs made some money on those bets (laughs) yeah for sure so uh that's what we do next week so i'll go ahead and get us started in the heavyweight division with uh john volante versus jake collier um i've got john beating jake jake looked awful uh not just yeah he looked awful at his last time out so um not that john is any world beater by any stretch but i got john volante winning by first round tko over jake collier what about you um, I'm actually taking, uh, Jake Collier. Um, I think he's, I think it's going to go the distance, um, a lot of back and forth, but I think Jake Collier is going to take a decision. I have never disagreed with you more about a fight than I do really? <laughs> yeah. with that one. Really? <laughs> we I think we're on the opposite ends of the spectrum on that one for <laughs> sure. Uh, let's move into Montana De La Rosa versus Talia Santos. I-, I love Montana De La Rosa. I'm very high on her. I always have been at uh, the 125 pound division. I think it's going to be a good fight, but I think De La Rosa is going to win all three rounds. I've got her winning by unanimous decision over Talia Santos. What say you, feature player Drea? Um, I'm taking Montana De La Rosa as well, uh, but I don't think it's going to go the distance. I think she may uh, get her with a um, submission. I'm going a third round submission for Montana. I can absolutely see that. Alrighty, moving into light heavyweight. We've got the young upstart. Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill versus Ovens St. Prue. Uh, Jamal Hill, uh, you know, Rhino Gang, 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 Gang. Um, so I've got, of course, I almost, I I don't think I've ever gone against uh, rhino ganger. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I might, I might've, but I don't think so. Even though I think OSP is super experienced, he's excellent on the feet. He's got the top tier, um, you know, high kick. And he also has that OSP choke. I think Jamal Hill's youth as explosiveness is going to get it done. I've got third round TKO for Jamal sweet dream Hill over OSP. What about you? Feature play Adrea. I'm with you. I'm going with the up-and-comer Rhino Gang, Jamal Hill. I'm taking a third-round TKO as well. All righty, moving into our main event, which has been a musical chairs of sorts between Jack Hermans and Marvin Matori, Jack Array, and Kevin Holland. Is it actually <laughs> just going to be Jack the Joker Hermanson versus Marvin Matori? We have an all-European affair in this one at 185. I think this has the potential to be really, really fun. I think Vittori is going to uh, come out and try to establish the striking game. I think Jack's going to try to keep it more of at distance and then work his way to the ground. I've got... Jack Hermanson by third round submission over Marin, Marvin, I almost called him Marin, Marvin <laughs> Vittori, third round sub for Jack the Joker. What about you, Drea? 
I'm taking Joker Jack uh, as well, but I think it's going to go um, the full fight, and I think it's going to go Jack Hermanson with the unanimous decision. All right, so we both have Joker Jack over Marvin in this one. All right, let's go ahead and get into our uh, Twitter questions. I know the first one comes from my homie Ranger Sweet Potato from up in Canada Way. RSP, what do you got for us this week, my dude? There was a lot of confusion this week in regards to what the actual rule set for Tyson versus Jones would be. When a bout agreement is signed, who decides what the rules will be? Promoter or commission or the sanctioning body? And are those rules laid out in the bout agreement? Neither guy seemed to fully know what was going on. Also, what did you think of Snoop's air quotes commentary? So we're going to have to revisit that second part to you because I didn't listen to the commentary at all. Okay. Uh, so for the first part, I'll answer. Uh, yeah, man, it, when you have a professional bout, the commission decides the rule set and they're not usually in the bout agreement. I, you know, I had a, a million bout agreements that I signed. I never saw any uh, like subset rules specific to that commission. Um, but when you have an exhibition bout, like last night's, you know, t- card was between Tyson and RJJ, the, the the promoter himself or themselves can have a lot more leeway in what they can put in and how they can kind of mold it and make it the way that they want to have it presented. Um, I don't, I never fought an exhibition bout. I don't even know, you know what I mean? But that I know that's, that, that that's true. The stipulations, as far as they go, they can only go so far. They can't say something like, you know, uh, yeah, Mike, you can kick to the nuts and Roy, you can bite. You know what I mean? They can't do that, but they can have some more leeway with as far as the rule set that they implement um, for an exhibition bout. And, and as far as the various athletic commissions, you can always, as a pro, you can always check their website and see if there's any sort of, you know, hiccup or difference between them. But pretty much it's standard across the board. You know, we all have federal IDs and we all have individual state licensing uh, for whatever state state we fight in. And it's usually pretty much the same from state to state. Uh, as far as the commentary with Snoop, Andrea, you could take that one. Because like I said, I watched, but I did not listen to the commentary at all. Well, I would say it was far from real commentary. It was more of a comedic uh, type of commentary. It was all just him being funny and, you know, just saying things to make people laugh, in my opinion. Um, He kind of, I don't know if you've ever watched his, he's done some videos of like where he's watching like animal or national geographic videos. And he kind of commentates where he's pretending to be the animal and he's like talking like as if, he Oh was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that, it, was, it was kind of, that's what it reminded me of. You know, he <coughs> okay. was like, he's, they look like two uncles, you know, at the family picnic outside about ready to box in the backyard. Like, you know, so he was just being funny. It to okay. me, to me, it was, it was entertaining. It was funny, but if this were a real professional boxing match, absolutely not. But the whole show was, I mean, it was, it was just for entertainment. They had musical, you know, musical performances in between the fights and it wasn't your average or typical, you know, professional boxing promotion. I gotcha. It was all just pure entertainment. I mean, I saw he made me laugh. Yeah, you know, I saw what was going on in between the fights, but like I said, I was I was paying attention to other things commentary wise with the UFC. And, yeah, uh, I was bouncing and I was bouncing back and forth. I was going between UFC and and that, and it was like I was 
you know, there was a guy from Sacramento that was fighting uh, Blake and I watched that fight. Then I went back to UFC. And then when the Jake Paul fight came on, I you know switched back and I was just doing a lot of back and forth. So, but I, I did you. catch a lot of the Snoop commentary and it, it was funny, but I okay. wouldn't put him on an actual professional card to commentate. That's for sure. Gotcha. 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 <laughs> all right. I know our next one. So thank you. First of all, Rage Street Potato. That's a great question, my dude. Uh, second question comes from the homie from at home and sale. And what do you have for us this week, dude? Miguel Baeza looked awesome last night. What would you, or what would be a good matchup that you'd like to see him have next? So yeah, dude, I really he really looked great, and he's looked great in all three of his UFC fights coming off of his contender series win. Uh, dude, including a win over like Mister Badass himself, Matt Brown. That's a fucking big feather in your cap. So I played around with this question a little bit, and I came to the conclusion of what I'd like to see and what would also kind of make sense. I'm going Anthony Showtime Pettis at 170. That's Showtime versus Caramel Thunder. I think this would be a stand-up war between two guys who put on a great fight for us as the fans. Um, Anthony is ranked, you know, in that middle of the top 10-ish, or later top 10-ish at 170. Yeah, yeah, so that would be a great thing because Carmel Thunder is not ranked, right? So this mm-hmm. would be one of those deals where I think it would make a lot of sense. It'd be a lot of fun. Two really, really strong strikers, dynamic guys. I just think that'd be a really fun, interesting matchup. So that's what I came up with uh, on that one. So that's what I'd like to see next for Caramel Thunder, which I love saying, Caramel Thunder. I love, <laughs> I love that. It's very cool. Uh, so, yeah, great question, dude. Um, let's move into our third one. It comes from my girl, APB. What do you got for us this week, APB? Why is Michael Chandler such a diva? He was willing to fight on short notice if someone pulled out of Habib versus Gaethje, but wouldn't fight DeSanjos or Tony Ferguson, who he originally called out. Who do you think uh, he'll agree to fight and win? So I'm not sure where Michael or when Michael Chandler started this diva-like behavior. I have to assume it was all those years being such a big fish in a small pond like he was over there in Bellator, right? Um, I'm guessing that's where he kind of got that I want my way all the time kind of a deal. And Scott Coker was having so few stars, and I'm using that term loosely, (laughs) he he kind (laughs) of had to appease Michael Chandler, right? So I think that's where Michael kind of got this diva-ish behavior. Um, I think he was only willing to step in to fight um, if something happened in the heavyweight, in the heavyweight, in the lightweight championship fight, because it was going to be a huge payday. It was going to be seen by everybody and win, lose or draw. He was still going to look like, okay, he put on a good performance. If he, if he fought well, I think Michael Chandler is one of those fighters who has, has been given too much. He doesn't have any recourse or action to be like, yeah, I deserve this. or I deserve that. The sense of entitlement. I don't like it. So here's what I think it should be next for him. I think he needs to get a win over a guy between five and 10, right? We already know Dustin and Connor book. We already know that do Bronx and Tony are booked. Let him fight Dan hooker or, or Al Iaquinta, somebody from five to 10. And if he gets a win, then I'll consider Michael Sandler as being a part of that top tier, top five conversation at lightweight, dude, he doesn't deserve it yet. I need him to get a win against somebody from five to 10. That's the way I see it. Dre, do you have a thought on this one? Um, I pretty much agree with what you said. I mean, I think the fact that Dana gave him that, that opportunity as a fill in, I think just blew his head up to be honest. And now he doesn't want to take anything less than, you know what I mean? Like he's like, Oh, he thought so much of me to put me at such a high, um, standard. Now he just thinks that he's the number one contender, (laughs) you know? Yeah, exactly. 
<clears throat> yeah. Having um, never I, stepped foot in the UFC octagon, he thinks he's, you know, he thinks yeah. he's championship material. I, I think that was a mistake on Dana's part to even to do that because that I think that's what um, caused all of this, you know, I the get, big headedness. Yeah, I get why though, you know, you need, you need an insurance policy for something like that. Oh, yeah. uh, I got like, I get it, but yeah, Michael Chandler, you need to win between five and 10 before yeah, I'm going to sure. include you in that conversation. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm at. So, uh, yeah. APB, <laughs> thank you so much. That's a great question. Uh, Drea, your world famous drop of the night. You knocked out your picks. You knocked out the Twitter questions. You have rock and rolled your way through your feature play in this on this week's CSWR. We appreciate you very much. All right. Have a good day and I'll see you next week. You betcha. All right, right, okay, let's go ahead and get into our voice questions. I know my first one comes from my dear homie Juice from the Funny With Myself podcast and Breaking the Fourth Wall podcast. Juice, what do you got for us this week, my dude? What's up, Rhino? It's Juice, formerly of the Fighting With Myself podcast. And uh, as you know, I am not a boxing fan. We have uh, deliberated on this endlessly. But last night, I chose boxing over UFC. I know. 2020, right? It's crazy. I wanted to watch the Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. fight. And uh, aside from the Jake Paul and Nate Robinson fight being an absolute embarrassment and a complete shit show, the main event was very entertaining at least in my opinion, even though obviously you don't want to see your heroes still boxing into their 50s. But also, Badu Jack versus Blake McKernan was a fucking banger. So I want to know, what are your thoughts on Badu Jack as a boxer? And would he have any success in MMA? Love you, brother. Oh, yeah, homie. I absolutely am a longtime Badu Jack fan. Um we actually started our pro career almost the exact same time, same years, like a month apart. Uh, he's had some great fights over the years, some great bar burners, some razor close fights with the likes of guys like Adonis Stevenson, James DeGale. He beat Anthony Durrell and Lucien Butte, all top-notch world champ fighters. I don't know if his style would have been suited for MMA necessarily. Um, as we know, a lot of people in that region of the world don't have like a wrestling background throughout their throughout their childhood and into high school and college. But he's super intelligent. He's very athletic, and both of which I think are critical, you know, components to having like high level success in MMA. So maybe. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge Body Jack fan. I'm glad there was some. Uh, real fighters, you know, who are in their current state of fighting uh, on that card last night. So, yeah, dude, huge body Jack fan. I love that guy. And I appreciate you asking the question about him. So thank you, Juicy Fruit Baby. Uh, if you guys haven't already, absolutely. If you are a uh, musical theater or play, any sort of theater fan, absolutely check out Juice at Breaking the Fourth Wall podcast. He is so passionate about it. It absolutely comes through on the mic uh, when he's doing it. So very, very cool stuff. So thank you, Juicy Fruit Baby. Alrighty, moving into our next question comes from Dave Fretz at Dave Fretz on Twitter and Instagram. He's the Einstein of graphic design. And what do you got for us this week, my dude? Hey, what's up, Rhino? This is Dave Fretz at Dave Fretz on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, December 12th, man. Really, really fast turnaround, both for um, Davison Figueredo and, and Brandon Moreno, uh, just want your thoughts on that fight and what you think the outcome is. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, Figueredo seems really, really tough to stop, but uh, Moreno is, is game, I think. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and then uh, 
also your thoughts on uh, Ferguson against Oliveira and uh, how you think that plays out, um, Tony, after his brutal loss to Gagey. But uh, I'd love to see Tony come back and really uh, go to work. Anyways, man, talk to you soon. Peace. Oh, yeah. Figgy versus Moreno should be so fun. I mean, both guys are so scrappy and strong and and really well-rounded fighters. I think at this point of his career, I think Figgy is a little too much, especially how he's looked lately, how sharp he's looked uh, for Brandon. I think this one is going to be uh, really fun on the feet, but I think when he gets to the ground, I think Figgy is going to have uh, a big advantage over Brandon. Although I love Brandon, I do see Figgy finishing Brandon on the ground. I think he's going to hurt him with something. I don't know if it's going to be the second or the third or the fourth, but he's going to hurt Brandon with something. Get, it's going to go to the ground. I think he's going to sub him or TKO him uh, on the ground. That's how I see Figgy versus Moreno going. Uh, as far as, again, I want to say again, I love Brandon Moreno. I just think Figgy is on another another level right now. Uh, as far as Tony and Du Bronx, I'm calling it like an old school fight, man. I think if it stays on the feet, which it could, I think Tony Ferguson is superior uh, in his striking. His uh, his arsenal is so diverse. He's got he can hurt you from so many different ways and angles, especially with his elbows. Uh, but I think if Du Bronx can get to the ground, I think his even though Tony's got great jujitsu, I think Du Bronx is very capable of subbing Tony, and I think that's a very distinct possibility. Um, I'm not going to make my actual prediction on that as of yet because we still got time. But I, I do like that fight. I really, really like it, uh, and I think if it stays on the feet, the better for Tony. And the more it stays on the ground, the better for Dubron. So thank you so much for that. That's a great question, Dave. If you guys have already, of course, check out Dave Fretz at Dave Fretz on Twitter and Instagram. The Einstein of Grab Design, the man puts together the most beautiful shoes, hats, uh, posters, anything graphic design-wise. He is the man. He's my broski with the moski. Thank you so much, Dave. All righty, now let's go ahead and get into our interview with UFC heavyweight Jared the Mountain Vandera. We're going to a real quick word from our sponsor. Hey, Rhino Gang, are you looking for a piece of furniture to tie the room together? Maybe make it feel a little bit more homey? How about a beautifully restored dresser for the bedroom or an end table for the family room? Well, look no further than my good friends at K&R Designs. You got a piece of furniture that needs restoration? They got you covered. Looking for a new addition to your home decor that's already been beautifully done? They got you there, too. We're talking dressers, armoires, kitchen tables, cabinets, nightstands, any and all wood furniture you can think of, they've got or can get for you. So check out K&R Designs in-store at 101 West Chicago Boulevard in Tecumseh, Michigan, or on their website, knrcustomdesigns.com. Check out their Facebook page, K&R Home Deco, that's D-E-C-O, to see everything they have and the amazing work that they can do. You can also call and order at 517-605-7173. They accept PayPal, Venmo, Square, Cash, Check. They accept them all. So if you want the absolute best of the best and restorative wood furniture creators, you got to check out K&R Designs. Tell them you're a member of the Rhino Gang, and that'll get you 20% off your very first purchase. Once again, check out K&R Designs, Combat Sports with Rhino's proud sponsor. All righty, fight fans, we've got ourselves quite the extra special treat today, the heavyweight of treats, if you will, UFC heavyweight, the mountain, Jared Vandera. Thank you so much for joining us today, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, sorry for missing the call a little earlier, but... 
you know how life goes. I certainly do, my friend. And it was only a few minutes of a delay, which, believe me, puts you on a uh, a list of being way far down the line of some others who have made people wait a little bit longer uh, in previous situations. So I definitely appreciate you joining us today. So, Jared, man, b- before we get started in anything, can you tell us how you got started? I love round one to kind of know the backstory. How did you get into this uh, crazy world of MMA? Um, I think, you know, growing up, I watched, you know, movies like Kickboxer and Bloodsport. Uh, for me, like Van Damme is maybe more inspiration than Bruce Lee. I know that sounds very sacrilegious to some people, but the truth is that's the movies that I watched. I didn't care for the Rocky movies. So I, that's another sacrilegious statement to say, but <laughs> but I, I grew up enjoying the kickboxing aspect of it. But where I lived, there was no kickboxing or anything like that. And I went into wrestling because I really hated football. Uh, with like the coaches, really just made me hate the sport. Got into football. Uh, did that for a year or two, and then I was like, "Yeah, screw this, screw the coaches. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrestle." And I, I was doing really well until I had an injury my senior year, uh, putting me basically not sign, basically sidelining me. And then I go back for league, and everyone's sharp as tool, and I'm a little dull. And <laughs> I, I got some losses uh, when I should have been, you know at top of the world and then uh i I came into some money uh and i was like you know what i'm young let's let's just try this fighting stuff out i was like 17 at the time i went to the local gym and because i mean i didn't grow since high school so i was 6'4 210 220 going in the gym and they're like like I had to bring my mom and they're like, why is she here? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, a minor. I'm 17. And they're like, Oh, you big. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that's the origin story, man. 17 years old, walked into a gym and gave it a go. And here we are now. Uh, Jared, my, my guess is that the majority of MMA fans first exposure to you was just a few weeks ago on the uh, Dana White contender series, uh, watching your victory in the first round or TKO. Um, I remember you, I remember seeing you a couple of LFA fights a few years back. So you've been a pro for like, it's been a while now since 2015. What do you think you've improved on the most? Like, yo, just go back that, just that four or five years when you first got started in the pros, cause you had a pretty extensive amateur career, but just from then to now, where do you think you've had your most major improvements? Wow, I feel old. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize it was five years ago. Yeah. Uh, I would say in general, everywhere. Like, looking back, there's definitely parts. Or I would, You know, I would say this would be the best answer would be my biggest improvement is accepting that this could go everywhere. Okay. Um. Because I think like my first loss was at LFA and it was LFA title, um, and when I, I prepared for that fight, my striking was just freaking on point. I felt amazing. I knew there were moments where I, I scared my opponent from engaging, disengaging, but because I was so working on just that one factor that. 
I basically didn't factor in my jiu-jitsu or my clinch work to the point where I got, I personally think, you know, I think on the scorecards, it was like two to two. I personally think on the, I lost the clinch game. And so I was like, you know what? I'm never going to let that happen. And I'm like, I'm going to beat this guy standing. I'm going to beat him on the clinch. I'm going to beat him on the wall and on the ground. So I've been making sure to make sure that when I train MMA, I train the whole aspect. Don't really focus on one point because they might be kind of good at some some spots. I mean, I'm a black belt. I like my Muay Thai. And, yeah, I'm, I'm going to finish the fight wherever we go, and I don't want that to ever be an excuse. And that's kind of what happened in my last fight where I couldn't get off my hands the way I needed them to be. But I felt like, yeah, I'm better on the ground, so let's change this up, take it to the ground, and we saw what happened there. Yeah, absolutely, dude. That's a great segue into my next question. So can you kind of walk us through your Dana White Contender Series experience? Like, what was that day like for you? Did you, um, you know, was it was it weird fighting in front of no crowd? Was it, uh, you know, was it extra nerve-wracking fighting in front of the boss? Like, can you kind of walk us through what that day was like for you? Uh, it getting to that walkout moment i'm sure you might understand that uh, understand this there's like this surreal moment of the lights the cameras and all that stuff thousand thousand percent dude yeah so there there's there's that surreal out of body moment i had that but then once you know once they opened the doors i was a little it was easier for me i i've i've, I've been there a thousand times and i mean the no crowd thing wasn't really a uh, shocker because, I mean, I train with no crowd. You know, I don't have people cheering me on. I don't have this or that. I just have silence. I have people pushing and kicking each other. Um, it was it was just it was kind of a surreal moment uh, because it was like, I'm finally here. But outside of that, I like I didn't care if I was starting from Dan. That never you know, put, that never came across my mind. I just wanted the win. And I found a, an opportunity to, like, I found an opening. I took that opportunity, exploited it, and I got the win. And surprisingly, the contract. Yeah, no, it wasn't surprising to us at all, dude. The way you manhandled him once you got to the ground, we were all, I mean, at least everybody here at the CSWR crew, we all knew, dude, this guy's getting the contract for sure. So, uh, Jared, the only other heavyweight that I've actually had on uh, on my show is Juan Adams. Um, he was the last heavyweight I had on. It's been a few months since he was on. So the, the landscape of the UFC is, is, you know, different weight classes have different kind of ebbs and flows and what are considered deeper, what are considered shallower. I think the UFC's heavyweight division is very strong. I see a lot of resistance to that on Twitter. A lot of people don't think it's the strongest division in the UFC right now. Um, do you feel like you're coming in at a good time of the UFC where you can make some noise uh, really soon out of the gates? Um, yes and no. Uh, I do agree with you that the heavyweight division is actually maybe its strongest it's ever been. Right. Uh, because I feel like there's... Like, a lot of people look at the big names. Now, out of the heavyweight division, is there any big names? Not really. Like, outside of the massive names, but, like, like people already dismissed Rosenstruck. Like, the dude came out of nowhere. I knew about him, but he kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. 
shock the like heavyweight division. But then you you kind of start seeing people like he's he, what three four fights in. So like it's not that deep, but there's not necessarily lack of competition either. Sure. Like that's one thing. Like I, like I would say the heavyweight division is more dynamic than the light heavyweight division. I look at it like the guys, there's more parity in like the top 15, top 20 at heavyweight than any other division. And what I mean is that I think the number four guy could lose to the number 20 guy on any given night more frequently than if the, if the 170s were doing the exact same thing. Like the guy ranked number three or four at 70 is almost never going to lose to the guy ranked at number 20 or 25, I think. But I think at the heavyweight division, I think the guy who's at number three or four could absolutely lose to the guy who's ranked number 20 or 17 on a, on a more frequent basis. That's kind of my my two cents on that one, dude. So uh, go, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I would agree. Just maybe because of the giant aspect of our power. I mean, like, sure. I'm not, like, I mean, no offense. Like, Nagano, I, I'm sure you're a pro boxer. You've seen how he punches. That is technically wrong. Well, yeah, he's not he's not a technical fighter at all. It's definitely his uh, power, yeah. Yeah, like, he has that power, whereas I know I have to be on the more technical side to even get to where he, he knocks out people. I just sure. don't have power. Now, it's just, like, with the division, I think they're, like, the, the lower aspect of the heavyweight division – there's a lot of up-and-comer guys that, you know, are really nasty that just haven't got their name out. And then once you start hitting the top 15 and you start taking out your Olavskis, your Wal Harris's, your, uh, you know, uh, Volcons, and then you jump into the top 10, your Overeems and Francis and stuff like that, that's when you start making a name. But to sit there and say it's light would just be a full, foolish way to think of it. Um and I think there's enough people like, I mean, a lot of people are asking me is like, do I want to immediately try to like, because the guy I'm fighting is two and two in the UFC. He's good enough. He's, or he's won two fights in the UFC, one over tied to Avasa, who is somewhat of a name. Sure. So if I beat him, does that make me somewhat of a name? You know what I'm saying? There's yeah. 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 Of give and take. And, you know, I think statistics matter and stuff like that. And I think like with my opponent, it's a good, he's a good matchup. He's not necessarily crazy out, out there like name, but he's building it to a point where people respect, Hey, you know, you've actually won in the UFC, not once, but twice. That's a very, that's a very good point, dude. And I was actually going to ask you about him a little bit later on, but I'm going to go ahead and skip to that question just now because we kind of segued pretty well into it. So next month, you've got Sergey Spivak, 11-2 and two Ukrainian fighter. Uh, you definitely have the size and power advantage on him for sure from what I've seen of him. Like from your perspective, what, what do you think he brings to the table that you're going to have to uh, counter against? Um, from what I've looked, it's that Sambo and Judo uh, background. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of guys that I've I've trained with, like Sokoju, who was a black belt in judo. Um, I mean, I trained with Dan Henderson, obviously. Um, so, I mean, the grappling aspect is going to be there. Now, it's just Sambo isn't judo or wrestling. It's a little different. 
Right. Therefore, I have to – I'm just making sure that I at least have my wrestling and my judo defenses up so I can at least maneuver in the Sambo realm. It's kind of why a lot of people get confused with Habib is because he's coming from Sambo, not wrestling. So things are a little different. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right on that, dude. Uh, and you mentioned, you just mentioned Dan Henderson, so I kind of, this is another one of the questions. Um, how did you end up at Dan Henderson's gym, uh, AFC? Uh, so basically, the gym that I fell into primetime, which was ran by a bunch of Team Quest guys, eventually okay. opened Team Quest, and then just uh, here in uh, the town that I live in, Hemet, California, they opened a, a Team Quest. And they're like, hey, dude, you, you need more bodies. You need more experienced bodies. Just start going to the one in Temecula. Don't worry about it. We got you. I'm like, all right. So I started going there. It was just, you know, you, I was in the, that company. Like, basically, they're like, hey, you're in the work. You're doing good. We want you to get more experience. Go to Dan's. Right. Well, that's good. Do that that way. It was, uh, you know, there was, there's none of that awkward I'm, I'm leaving your gym, you know what I mean, that people yeah. had to go through. It was uh, seems to be all under the same umbrella, which is awesome. Um, it's a very quick turnaround, uh, dude, from, from fighting on the 4th of November to fighting on the 12th of December. Obviously, it did not appear that you took a whole lot of damage um, from that Hunsicker uh, fella. The uh, Your UFC debut will be, uh, like I said, on the 12th on a, on a pay-per-view on UFC 256. Um, you've had a lot of experience, both Amy and pro. Uh, do you feel like, I don't know, I don't, do you feel like it's too quick of a turnaround or do you feel like, no, you're, you're ready to go. You feel like everything's, you know, that's plenty of time for you to get ready to, uh, to face Spivak. Uh, I mean, if you look at my history, I've taken fights on less time and turnarounds on, what was it? My, my pro debut came off of, I think a month later. Okay. My last amateur fight. Then uh, I knew, was it like my second fight? I took literally on a two, like a week notice. And then my opponent changed literally the day of the fight. Then, like, my third one was like my first official camp. My fourth fight, I took that one on 24-hour notice. Like, <laughs> so this is nothing new to the model, so folks. This my, is something he's been uh, accustomed to throughout his career. Yeah, my seventh pro fight was a quick turnaround. Like, I just had my loss. Like, my shoulder just started working in, and I took a fight on a, like, a week notice. And it was, like, three, fight, uh, three weeks after my last fight. So, I mean... It doesn't really bother me. And then I did like I went to like South Africa and I did literally their one show and their following show, I think, back to back. This kind of uh this kind of turnaround, which is fucking amazing, dude. Yeah. Um so bro, again, you're only the second heavyweight I've ever had on, obviously besides myself. So I'm actually really I ask this question a lot to a lot of different fighters, but I'm I'm most interested when I when I got one of my brethren of the heavyweight division up here. So the 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 time has come for the mountain to really fucking chow down. You're, you 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 have done all the work. You've done the weight cuts all done. You have, you are ready to really indulge in a big fucking meal. Where are you going and what are you getting, Jared? Uh, I, I'm gonna hurt some feelings here. Uh, I don't really like eating big uh, during like fight week or like fight day 
or after weigh-ins. I, oh. I, <laughs> yeah. I was going to hurt some feelings. That's all right. Feelings are all right. But what I did do this time was uh, because of the whole COVID test, we had to go Whole Foods and they set us up in a hotel room with a stove and stuff. So I got me like a two pound ribeye. Oh, yeah. So I did that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so the average two pound ribeye is uh, uh, big. But for me, I was like, yeah. And then my manager hooked us up with uh, some Italian joint, and I like I, I ordered like two things because I, I was like ah it's not gonna be that big. No, this thing was meant to feed like two families. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I, was like I wasn't ready. <laughs> so, so unfortunately, I did eat really big for this fight. Not nor like not something I normally do, but it happened. A two-pound ribeye is as good of an answer as I could have possibly hoped for, dude, because that's exactly what I would choose if I had the ability to have a two-pound ribeye uh, after post-weigh-ins any time in my career, dude. Uh, so, Jared, we have careened our way into the very last question. Um, so, basically, where can the fans follow you? Like, what are your socials? How do we keep in touch with the mountain and see what's going on with you and your career? Uh, you can find me on every major social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok, all under Jared Vandera. Um, you'll most likely find me either on Instagram or TikTok. Excellent. So is that Jared Vandera to all of them? All right. Yep. So let's give my man the mountain to follow and make sure we check him out on December the 12th for UFC 256, where he fights Sergey Spivak in the heavyweight division. Jared, I want to thank you so much for coming on, my friend. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is Jared Vandera. And I just went 10 rounds with the Rhino. Very, very cool, Rhino Gang, getting to talk to uh, UFC heavyweight Jared the Mountain Vandera just a couple weeks ahead of his uh, UFC 256 fight against Sergey Spivak. I'm really looking forward to it. Jared is a huge guy. He moves really well. He's funny. I really hope he has a good uh, a good showing and more people get to see him and check him out uh, against Sergey in a couple of weeks. So thank you so much once again, Jared. Uh, if we could have our get into our shout outs and outros for today, uh, definitely thank you to my forum participants, Rage Street Potato, Holman Sale, my girl APB, Juice from the Break in the Fourth Wall, and FWM Pods. Of course, Dave Fretz at Dave Fretz on Twitter and Instagram, the Einstein of Graphic Design. Some other members of the Rhino Gang I want to shout out this week, Lanta Brown. My girl Molly at Hells underscore Bells. Check her out if you're into wrestling, uh, pro wrestling, or mental health stuff. She writes great blogs. She's a fantastic writer and a wonderful person. So big ups to you, Molly. Uh, all my love for you, my friend. All the homies of the MCCI. My dude, Scott Nolan. Ashley, the MMA nerd. My boy, Angel. Sin City Sarah. Trouble. Miss Fight Diva. Marquise from Weak Sauce Radio. Mike Morgan and Kairos. Dude, D. Kronz, Cat, Jim Assoon, Mix the Man, Mr. B, everybody else who follows the show every week and week out. I can't do it without you guys. You guys have been so supportive. It's amazing. Of course, the backbone of this operation, as it were, the Triple D, Drea, D. Reigns, the best engineer in the biz, Dave Fretz. To all my friends, thank you so very much. Be kind. Stay safe. Black Lives Matter. And we will see you next week. K-Side!